Welcome back to the first night of CE. It's great to be back after a long summer. I'm going to be honest, I spent my Saturday nights doing absolutely nothing, and it was great, but I really did also miss being here at CE. If you don't know me, uh, let me introduce myself. I'm Scott McManamy. I'm married to Ruth, and here we are looking sprightly on the screen with our wee boy Elijah. He's almost six months, and even now we know he's going to break some hearts. That boy's handsome. But take him down, lest you distract us, Stuart, with that beautiful picture of my child. Thank you. Um, I'm part of the CE planning team. It's one of the greatest joys of, and privileges of my life to be stuck in to CE. Um, so even from a personal point of view, it's so great to see you out tonight. Um, this is a really great place to be on a Saturday night. I go as far as saying this is a really special place to be on a Saturday night. And that's not an exaggeration. And that's not because we're great, because we're not. And the more you get to know me, the more you'll discover that I'm really not that great. There's not much to me, uh, apart from size. But we have a great God who uses this place for his glory as we talk about Jesus. We're all about Jesus here at CE. I think he's something to get excited about. If you're new or newish here, and Henry's already touched on this, but if you're wondering just what the flip is going on, let me tell you. We've had our welcome, we've sang some songs where we praise God, we've had some prayers where we talk to God, we've just heard our Bible reading where we hear from God's Word, and that's see, we believe that the Bible is actually God's Word. Uh, if that sounds crazy to you, good. Uh, and now we hear God's Word explained, and that's my job tonight. But throughout the year, we'll have speakers in, much better speakers than me, uh, as we go through our series on the Ten Commandments. Um, after all this is over, there'll be a couple more songs. Henry or Gilly or someone will close. And then you'll have plenty of time to make use of the cafe, the talk shop, go to Asda, flirt the bed out, or whatever you want to do. Uh, but from the time when the announcements start, right, until whoever it is closes a meeting, we ask that you listen up and you get involved. We want you to get involved after the meeting. Absolutely, we do with everything that's happening. But when things are going on here, we want you to be part of things. That means when we sing, we sing. And your singing was actually pretty good tonight. It was great to hear. When we're praying, we're engaged. And it means especially at this point, um, even the rest of the way through, but especially at this point, we don't talk to the people beside us. You're going to have loads of time to do that later. We put our phones away. And we'll listen up because we believe that God is speaking to us, that God has something to teach us and challenge us, that he's going to change us. We have a, a God who does that. I think that's class, a God who's invested in us. And we don't want to miss out on that, and we don't want to distract people from missing out on that either. Capiche? Majestic. Uh, Stephen read from us earlier uh, from Matthew 22, 34 to 40 and a bit beyond. Uh, we're going to use that as our launch pad uh, for the rest of uh, 2019 at CE this year. But before we do that, we're going to ask God to help us. So we're going to do that by praying. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who loves us dearly, that you give us your word to teach us, to change us, to make us love Jesus. Would you help us to see that you're a God who saves us in Jesus Christ and that you give us a way to have life to the full in him. Would you soften our hearts? Would you give us listening ears, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
My buddy tells a story of a time he took a mathematics exam. He hated maths. Maybe you can relate. It just wasn't his thing at all. And, and every time a maths test came up, he dreaded it. Because every time he did a maths test, he flunked it. And one was coming up, and he was told it was going to be especially difficult. Um, it wasn't going to be easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. It was going to be difficult, difficult, lemon-difficult. And so he decided he was going to work his cotton socks right off. He studied like no one had ever studied for anything, ever. He actually did all the relevant homeworks without using the, the answers at the back to cheat. He, he slept eight hours the night before the test. And I'm going to assume, though I don't know this for sure, that he had a proper breakfast, like they tell you, on bite size to do. He had his Weetabix. He was ready. He was set. He went into the class. He sat at his desk, and there was this dreaded paper. Set of instructions at the top, and then questions one, two, and three. He was ready. He had one hour to complete it, so using his math skills, he worked out he had 20 minutes per question. He thought, right, that's not bad. I can do this. And the first question came. He tackled it head on. He was done in 10 minutes, surprising even himself. One down, two to go, 50 minutes remaining. I've got this, he thought. Second question, done in 10 minutes. He was smashing this for time. Even if he didn't get the answers right, if it was a time trial, he was nailing it. Even if all the answers were wrong, he was happy. Question three, right, surely this is going to be a harder. If he's done the first two questions in 20 minutes and there's 40 minutes to go, surely this is going to be the hard one. Finished it in 10 minutes. All three questions done in half an hour, and he had 30 sweet, juicy, succulent minutes to sit back and make sure his answers were correct. This was unprecedented in my friend's mathematical career, an academic miracle that would go down in school folklore for years to come. And so he decided he was going to make the most of this 30 minutes he went meticulously through his answers, making sure that he had shown his working out, that he had followed uh, Botmas, that he had written a glowing tribute to Pythagoras and his glorious theorem. He hadn't made any of the stupid mistakes that haunted him the whole way through school. And with about two minutes to go, confident in his work, <sighs> sigh of relief. And at that moment, in his peripheral vision, he noticed something interesting. He saw another student turn the page over. In fact, he saw a couple of students turn the page over. And so out of curiosity, more than anything, he looked down at the page in front of them, instructions at the top, questions one, two, and three, and turned it over. And to his absolute horror, looking at him, questions four, five, and six, each one like a punch to the gut. And he knew that as time was ticking away, second by second, he couldn't even have time to read these questions, let alone answer them. He messed up. He made a pig's ear out of it. What went wrong? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been my friend. I didn't read the instructions. The instructions at the top of the page, if he had only read them, said, 
read and answer all six questions. That's all it said. Read and answer all six questions. But he looked at that and thought, I, I don't need to read that. Questions one, two, three, got it. If he read the instructions, he would have been able to tackle the test well. But he didn't, and he messed it up. See, instructions are important because they help us carry out the task at hand. And this year at CE, as Henry was saying earlier, up until Christmas, we're going to be studying the Ten Commandments. A set of instructions given to us by God, to his people, to us, to help us live well. And you know, sometimes, like my friend who looked at the top of the exam paper and thought, nah, I don't need to read that. So often, you and I can have the same attitude towards God's instructions for our lives. We can have the same mindset. Only nerds, you know, take that sort of stuff seriously. Oh, that sort of stuff, it's all kind of boring, isn't it? Or even, who cares? But God gives us instructions because he loves us. And so he's able to help us live the life the way we should, that we may enjoy God and enjoy this life that he's created us to live. If God created this world, if he created us and the lives that we live, surely he has the best idea out of anyone how to live it well. Jesus, in the passage that was read to us, was asked by a lawyer, someone who really knew his onions, someone who was testing Jesus' knowledge of God's word. Matthew 22, verse 36, he said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, he's challenging Jesus. You know, if you are who you say you are, you can tell us from the law. If you know it so well, what, what, what part of the law tells us best how to live? Now, in some understandings, the law, uh, the word law, that means that's huge connotations. In the first five books alone of the, of the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments. That's a lot of commandments. And Jesus' response is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And really what Jesus is, is doing here is summing up the message of the Ten Commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love others as yourself. God's instructions for life to his people. The Ten Commandments, according to Jesus, are what we need to live well. Now, you might say, is that really important? Does this really matter? And I'll say, absolutely, it does. God says, absolutely, it does. And here's why. If you don't live life according to God's instructions, you can't, I don't think, in fact, I know you can't, live a full, satisfying life. And if you don't live life according to God's instructions, whether you know it or not, you're going to live by a different set of instructions. You're following to some degree or another other instructions, whether that's your own or someone else's. Someone with an opinion that's different to the God who created us. That can't end well. You know, I told you about my friend at the start with his maths exam. He followed his own instructions. It ended in disaster. But that's the way it always goes when we think we know better. Uh, a few years back when I was building Ikea furniture uh, for my house just before I got married, I got some of my pals around to help me. And if you've ever built Ikea furniture or seen your dad have a mental breakdown as he tries to do it, you know that there are instructions to follow. And the bigger the item you're building, the more important it is to follow the instructions because the more intricate they get. Uh, my friend Ryan, who isn't here so I can say what I want about him, 
he was very eager to help, and I was really grateful for that. I'm not sure I am now. But when he was building, helping me build my wardrobe, we went to get a cup of tea, and Ryan said, don't worry, I've got this, so we left him to it. And during that time, for some reason, he thought he knew better than Ikea. And for some reason, he thought Ikea, when making this wardrobe and giving the instructions, had made a mistake. So to my horror, I heard the one thing you don't need when assembling Ikea furniture, a drill going through the back of my wardrobe. Let me stress, this was for no reason at all. The instructions didn't demand it. Ryan just thought he knew better. And now there's a gaping hole in the back of my wardrobe. He made a mess of it. Not that I'm better. Not that I'm better. And I'm not perfect. I've been there. I thought I've known better. One time I went on holiday on honeymoon, actually, with a new suitcase. I didn't pay attention when I was setting the combination on the, you know, the, the three code combination on those fancy locks you get. I thought, I don't need the instructions. I'll do it myself. And I locked myself out of my own suitcase with my underpants in it for over eight hours. I thought I knew better. It didn't end well. We're not to be trusted when it comes to following our own opinions, our feelings, when it comes to furniture, when it comes to suitcases, when it comes to exams. But there's more. I'm sure if you get Facebook memories from years back, you shudder at the things that you thought were a great idea to put on the internet for everyone to see. Maybe in your house, your parents have photos of you on the wall, and you can't take your friends into those rooms, otherwise you'll get absolutely roasted at the poses you were pulling and the hairstyle that you once had when you thought it was cool to have tips in your hair. Or maybe you still have the email address you created when you were 10, and it's an absolute embarrassment every single time you have to fill out Little Miss Sunshine Loves You XOXO at hotmail.co.uk when you're applying for jobs. If we aren't to be trusted with email addresses, why should we ever trust our own opinions on how to live the one life we've been given by God to live, especially when God tells us how to live it? We're not to trust other people either when it comes to working out what instructions to live by. People are plonkers, let me tell you. I'm a plonker. Don't listen to my opinion. If you hear my opinion, make sure it is in uh, accordance with God's word, and if it's not, ignore me. I mean, for example, there are some people living, breathing, apparently thinking human beings in this room, look around you, who actually like to listen to Post Malone. I mean, they actually choose to type that into Spotify and hit play. That's insane. To quote one TV show, people like Coldplay and voted for the Nazis. You can't trust people. And when it comes to your life, when it comes to your life, you can't trust the world. The people attempting to influence you on how you live your life, whether on social media or in entertainment or in politics, they don't actually have your welfare in mind. They don't actually care about you. And if they do, they can't actually help you if they don't love Jesus. If our foundations for the way we live our lives are built on ourselves or on others, we're going to crumble. We're going to make an absolute mess of things. And God loves us too much, and God is too generous and loving and kind to sit idly by and let us mess up our lives. He is too good and he is too gracious to let us blindly follow the world like lemmings into disaster. And so he's given us instructions on how to live and live well. These instructions aren't like bars on a prison cell, locking us in, stealing our freedom, freedom, sucking the life out of us while everybody else gets to go and have a whole pile of fun. No, 
These instructions are the fuel that we need to live fully with joy and satisfaction and hope and love. God's rules are the key to freedom. Jesus says, summing up the Ten Commandments, we're to love God and love others. And that's what we want to help you do at CE. That's why we're here. To teach you about God with really good teaching, to give you opportunities to love each other, whether that's in conversations, uh, go on mission, serve at the cafe, be involved in the praise, whatever it is. We want to encourage you to go and get stuck into your local churches where God has designed for you to learn and love and grow. And so over the next few months, we're going to have an in-depth look at the Ten Commandments one by one to see how we should follow God's will for our lives, how to live well, how to love God, how to love others, how to live in the freedom that God has given to us. But, there is a but, to jump to, into the commandments, thinking that if we keep them or try our best to keep them, we'll earn God's favor and rack up the spiritual brownie points, we'll, we'll end up missing the point. You know, if that's how they worked, the reality is none of us could earn God's favor because as we'll see over the weeks ahead, every one of us breaks every single commandment pretty much every single day. We're pretty much constantly sinning against God and against others. And so we don't actually love God with all of our heart and soul and mind. We don't really love others as ourselves. And so we need to approach these instructions in the right way. If you go back to when the commandments were given, that's in Exodus 20, that's the second book, way back in the Old Testament, they start off with an introduction almost from God. Exodus 20 verses 1 and 2 say this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he gives the rules. You see, God's people had been slaves in Egypt for years before God intervened and then rescued his people, freeing them from slavery. Maybe you've heard about how he split open the Red Sea and led his people through it to freedom. And it's only after God has saved his people, it's only after God has freed his people that he gives them instructions on how to live. He didn't come to them in Egypt in their slavery and tell them, hey, folks, here's some rules. Do a decent job at keeping them, and, well, we'll give it two or three years, see if you do a good job, and if you have, I'll come back and get you out of here. No. He freed his people. He brought them to himself, and then he gave them rules how to live in the freedom that he had given them. And that's how we have to approach the Ten Commandments. That's how we have to approach Jesus' words on how to love God and love others. Not as a way to earn God's favor, but of a way of living because we have God's favor. We can't love God or others unless we have experienced the love of God poured out into our lives and taken hold of his favor and his blessing and freedom that can only come from God. And that can only happen, guys, when we come face to face with the gospel. The good news of Jesus that tells us despite our sin, despite our failure to live how God intends, despite our shame and our mess and our sin, 
God, in his great mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh, to dwell among us, to keep God's standards perfectly, to obey his instructions flawlessly, to love God purely, to love others constantly. And then he died on the cross, loving God and loving others, loving messed up sinners like you and me, pouring out his blood to forgive us, to free us. And then three days later, he defeated the power and curse of sin and death, and he rose to the Father's right hand where he promises even now to help us love God and love others as we should. He has given us his Holy Spirit to live within us, to help us, and he promises that one day he will come back and give us eternal life with him. But until we see him face to face, he's told us what to do. He's told us how to live. And he tells us that because we're transformed people by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're to love God and love others. We're to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit, to do that every day. And he tells us that in living for him, we have life to the full. Jesus doesn't tell us to keep his commandments, to earn his love. But rather in John 14, 15, he says, if we love him, keep his commandments. We could never earn God's love or favor, and so God has given it to us by grace in Jesus, so that may, in response we can live lives pleasing to him. I am really, really excited to see what God will teach us this year as we jump into this, as we look at his instructions for living. Do you, do you know this God who wants the best for you? Have you experienced his love in Jesus Christ? Are you living in the freedom that he gives to please him? It's our prayer at CE that you will know our great God, so love him and love others for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us, a God who has revealed himself to us, a God who has freed us in Christ Jesus and told us how to live. Father, would you help us to do that? We can't do that by ourselves. We need the help of your Holy Spirit working within us. Father, would you forgive us when we mess up for when we go against your plan, your will, and your way? Father, would you help each and every one of us to continue to put our trust in Jesus and live fully and well for him, we pray in his name. Amen. If you'd like to stand, we're just going to sing again.